Welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, folks. Today's episode is all about mushrooms. Um, We're talking, of course, about medicinal mushrooms today. Uh, We're not so much talking about the other kind of mushrooms, but we're sticking to the medicinal and incredible health benefits of mushrooms and how to tell the good stuff from the not so good stuff. My guest today is Jeff Chilton. Jeff um, started off in the mushroom business in 1973. And we talk about how he came to this fascinating field and how he basically grew into one of the top educators and subsequently manufacturers of top quality medicinal mushroom products and supplements. So he heads up a company by the name of Namex, um, which is more of a B2B kind of company. They provide bulk product to supplement companies and companies looking to integrate mushrooms into their their own products. And then the consumer-facing arm of the company is called realmushrooms.com. And you guys may already know them. They have great um, supplements in powder form and also in capsules for people who don't love uh, the taste of the mushrooms. But I personally love, love, love putting lion's mane powder into my coffee in the morning or I've also used cordyceps in the morning. Uh, Reishi, which is has very powerful immune properties, that one's really bitter and it's not for everybody. So that one I will personally tend to buy as a um, capsule, but uh, the other two are fantastic. If you've never tried it, I encourage you to give it a shot. I mean, start low and slow and build up gradually, watch your dosages, but um, these are amazing products. And Lion's Mane has been shown to stimulate BDNF, kind of like miracle growth for the brain. Um, But as we talk about in this podcast, one of the things that's most important when you're buying any of these mushroom supplements is to understand which part of the mushroom you're buying, what it was grown in, how it was grown, the whole nine yards. So quality is key. And although, of course, we know that real mushrooms and Namex produce top-notch quality product, I talk with Jeff a lot about how you can tell and what questions to ask about the supplements you might be buying in the mushroom world uh, to assess for yourself their quality. So, um, we go on for a while. It's, um, it's, I, it's, you know, he has a very interesting story himself. So I hope you're, you'll enjoy learning about him as much as I did. And as much as you will about the actual products. Now, if you decide you're going to go on a mushroom buying spree after this, oh, and by the way, we also talk about the benefits of eating these mushrooms because a lot of these mushrooms are actually quite delicious to eat. So you're not going to necessarily get all the therapeutic punch from eating mushrooms that you would from an extract or from a powder, because you're going to get more potency there, but there's definitely benefits to eating mushrooms. Um, And even these mushrooms, like lion's mane mushroom is a great um, food. Shiitake mushrooms are great. Anyway, we talk about it in the podcast. I'm not going to bore you here. So if you decide you're going to go on a mushroom shopping spree, um, longevity 15 will get you guys 
15% off. That's one five, 15% off your purchase at realmushrooms.com. And um, I think you'll find that's a pretty cool deal. And you get to use that promo code over and over again. Um, as always, if you enjoy this episode and you get value from it, please remember to share it with your friends and your family and leave us a review. Send me your comments. I love hearing from you guys. I love hearing about your likes and even your dislikes so that I know in the future where to direct things um, to give you the best experience in listening to this podcast. Um, if you're looking um, for real mushrooms, um, it's realmushrooms.com is the consumer facing website. And if you happen to be in the supplement business and you're looking for bulk mushrooms and mushroom extracts, you'll want to go to Namex, N-A-M-M, like Mary Mary, E-X, like X-ray.com. And to connect with me, you can find me on through my website, which is natnidham.com. You can find me on Facebook in the in the Optimizing Superhuman Performance Group or on MeWe in the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Group. And on Instagram, it's just my name, Natalie Nidham. Remember, there's an H in Natalie between the T and the second A. And what else can I tell you? How else can you find me? Also on Clubhouse. I'm on Clubhouse um, quite often at 8.30 in the morning and um, in, a, in a specific group there. And then I'll pop up every once in a while in other groups. So I think that's enough for now. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And I'm looking forward to hearing your guys' comments. As always, I really appreciate you. And I'm so grateful that you guys are here. Oh, last thing is, of course, remember that all of the information in this podcast is for information purposes only. We are not here to diagnose or treat any disease before starting any new supplement or regimen, please make sure that you check with your health provider, your medical provider, and make sure that it's right for you. Thanks again. Enjoy the episode. One last thing before we get into the episodes, folks, is our sponsor. Our sponsor this week is Primadine. Primadine is spermidine. It is a food-based supplement with an extremely high safety profile that halts six of the nine hallmarks of aging. It is the purest on the market with zero fillers and a formulation that also supports the endogenous production of spermidine, our active ingredient, through a prebiotic. So the only ingredients you will find in this beautiful capsule are defatted concentrated wheat germ extract. They've removed the fat so to avoid any chance of oxidation of that fat because these are very delicate omega-6s. So in this case, it's better just not to have them all together because they get damaged so quickly. Um, and a fructooligosaccharide to selectively feed specific bacteria in the gut biome. For those of you who are into this kind of thing, these would be the fuso and bacteriides bacteria in the gut biome. And that's it. That's all you get. No excipients, no fillers, none of that, none of that stuff. Um, and what's also incredible about primidine or spermidine in general is that not only do you get all the amazing under the hood benefits of DNA protection, folding of proteins, autophagy, 
and, and more, you also get the visible results. And people will find after a couple of months, usually, I mean, almost always, I'm actually amazed at the number of people, men and women who report this, that their nails are stronger, their hair is thicker and fuller, and their skin looks amazing. So if you decide that you would like to try this for yourself, you will want to go to primadine.com, use promo code BIONAT15. So that's B like Bob, I-O-N-A-T, N-A-T, 1515. That'll give you 15% off your entire purchase. And that promo code can be used over and over again. Thanks for listening. And if you decide to give it a try, don't forget to let me know. Let me know what you think. All right, guys, enjoy the episode. Hey, guys, welcome back. I am so excited today to be here with Jeff Chilton from Namex and, in a way, Real Mushrooms as well. Is that correct, Jeff? Yes, that's absolutely right. Yeah, Namex uh, sells uh, organic mushroom extracts to other companies, and Real Mushrooms sells uh, our extracts uh, retail on the internet. Amazing to consumers. So consumers. that's right. So Jeff and I actually go way back. I think I could say we met at a bullet when it was called the Bulletproof Conference still right? <laughs> before they went all fancy and called themselves the Upgraded Labs Conference. That was at the end of it for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, we met at the Bulletproof Conference a number of years ago and I remember even then having the most fascinating chat with you. I mean, it was really probably my first exposure to, um, it wasn't my first exposure to medicinal mushrooms, but it was my first exposure to information about the mushrooms that I was like, wow, like more people need to know this. And it took me all this time to actually create a podcast so I could get you on the podcast so we could share this information <laughs> with the world. But it is um, just, I'm so happy that we reconnected. Yeah, well, I, I'm happy to be here and it's nice to see you and chat with you again. Yeah, so we are both Canadians, only we are in completely opposite parts of the country in so many different ways. <laughs> Jeff lives in what I consider to be one of the most beautiful parts of Canada um, in this beautiful community called Tofino on the tip of Vancouver Island. Is that correct? Yeah, it's uh, the absolute West Coast. Uh, from here, you know, you, it's the end of the Trans-Canada Highway, Natalie. From here, you have to take a boat. So it's like, there that's it. Yeah. yeah. Next, next stop is Japan. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I was there, we were just talking, I was there a few years ago, and it is really, truly, a, I mean, it's just, it's an exceptional place. Um, yeah. Any of all the places I've been in the world, it's, it remains one of the most spectacular that I've ever been personally. So anyway, I'm so happy that that we have the internet, that we have Zoom, and that we can do this. Yes, so, indeed. Mr. Jeff, could you please tell us a little bit about you and how it is that you came to be the mushroom guy? I don't know if you call yourself that, but you know. No, <laughs> no, I don't. Good. Good for you. Other people sometimes too, but uh, look, I, I was born out here in what I know as the Pacific Northwest. I was raised in Seattle. I had this Beautiful environment around me, uh, forests, lakes, rivers, um, and it's one of the most perfect climates in the world for wild mushrooms because it rains a lot. So in the fall, we have this maritime climate uh, um, and up come all these mushrooms. So they're around me while I was growing up. And then when I went to university at the University of Washington, 
my, my field of study was actually anthropology, but I had this early interest in mushrooms. So I also took some mycology courses and that's the study of fungi. And you will not find a mycology department in very many universities. No. It's pretty rare, but we had one at the University of Washington. So uh, I studied the use of mushrooms. Uh, I kind of put the two together, studied the use of mushrooms for food, for medicine, and in shamanic purposes. Um, and, you know, it was just, you know, that time, think about it, it's the late 60s. I mean, there was a lot of local shamanism going on during that time, right? I mean, mm -hmm. uh, magic mushrooms and all the rest. And, and out of university and going, what can I do with a degree in anthropology? Well, not much, but there was a mushroom farm 60 miles down the road from Seattle. And I thought I'd, I'd really like to learn how to grow mushrooms. And I read about it a little bit and I said, yeah. So I went down to the farm. I, I got a job. Um, and in 1973, I started work at this mushroom farm and I was there for 10 years, <laughs> literally living with mushrooms and, and, you know, Mushrooms do not sleep, Natalie. They <laughs> do not sleep. And, and every mushroom you've ever eaten has to be harvested by hand. Yeah. So well, yeah, it's so delicate, right? Oh, well, it, it, uh, yes. And, and you know, in, in a bed of mushrooms, when you're growing mushrooms, they're not all growing up evenly like a, a right. field of corn or something. They're in all different stages. You, you can't go down with a knife and slice them off. You'll be slicing through caps and everything else. It would be an absolute mess. So, so there's literally an army of harvesters in, and this was a big farm, 2 million pounds of mushrooms per year that was coming out of this farm and you're harvesting every single day of the year that's crazy. again yeah, they no do exception. not sleep they just and and you we had uh, uh four to eight crops being put in as new crops every week and four to eight crops being uh taken out over a 90-day cycle so we had a minimum 200 different crops of mushrooms every year Wow. I think about that now after, after 10 years being there, I had seen 2000 different individual crops. Hmm. Whereas a normal farmer is what, what going to see 50 crops in a lifetime. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would imagine you learn a lot about the ins and outs of growing mushrooms at that point, because, you know, I mean, as much as we talk about things growing like a mushroom, you know, th mushrooms just seem to pop out of nowhere. Right. When I'm at my cottage, I we if we have an exceptionally wet season or it's rainy, I'll go for a walk. And I once walked around and took pictures of all these different mushrooms growing on our cottage property because I was so fascinated. Like there was such a variety of them. Absolutely. And, you know, what's interesting is a lot of times people will will kind of say, oh, where did that come from? It wasn't there yesterday. Well, it was. What, it was. Yes, it was actually just not big enough for you to notice. Yeah. Because it takes it takes uh, two or three weeks to go from just a tiny little what we would call a pinhead all the way to a mature mushroom. And this is something I like to to sort of um, talk about and and educate people about. And and that is, look, how do we grow mushrooms? They have no seeds. 
Yeah, it's the whole spore, the whole idea. Well, well, exactly. Yeah, they have spores. And so these spores uh, in nature, they get out, they land on the ground, they land on a piece of wood. When conditions are right, they germinate into a very fine filament. Those filaments, when they uh, fuse together, multiple filaments, they'll form a network of these filaments called mycelium. That mycelium is the vegetative body of this organism. And that's really important. That's what's out there. We don't normally see it because it's underground or embedded in the wood. We don't see it, but it is part of this whole cycle of decomposition of organic matter without which we would just be uh, inundated with leaves and branches from trees and uh, annual plants that have died. Something's got to repurpose this. Right. And so uh, this uh, mycelium is part of that. Now, when, when conditions are right and they change, which here is the fall, now the rains come, temperature goes down a little bit, up comes a mushroom. And, and um, then it'll be, um, it'll take about, again, two weeks for it to go through the cycle where it comes up, it opens up, there's gills underneath, uh, out come the spores. Now we have essentially the completion of this life cycle. So we have, uh, and this is really important. We have spore, we have mycelium and we have mushroom. And those are what we consider three different plant parts. So when you, when you go to the, the, um, store to look for a supplement or something, they have to tell you what is the plant part that you are buying because the root, the leaf, the fruit, the flower, each one can have a different amount of the medicinal compounds like ginseng. We don't, we don't, you know, look for ginseng leaves or anything. We want a root. Uh, echinacea, we're looking for the flower. So this is very important. So, so uh, ultimately, when you're out there, for example, looking for a mushroom product, you always need to see exactly what plant part is being used for that product. But, but I'm kind of getting ahead yeah, of myself. Here, ahead. But, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so, so at any rate, in, in the <laughs> mushroom farm to doing what you do today. Let's well, to some degree, yes. But part of that was the fact of, of you know, growing mushrooms. And, and one of the things that, that I do, um, people need to know is that I can grow mushrooms for food. I can have a good business. I can take my mushrooms to the marketplace. I can get $5 a pound, but mm-hmm. mushrooms are 90% water supplements actually are, are dried powders. Yeah. So, so now I have to get $50 a pound for that same, you know, for the same mushrooms. And it just does not work for supplement use. And that was something that I learned. Uh, and it was especially important when I founded my company Namex in 1989, that you can't grow mushrooms in North America for supplement use. It's too expensive. And part of that has to do with, with the fact of, uh, you know, we've got an army of harvesters that have to go in there. And, and again, every single mushroom you've ever eaten has been picked by hand. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no harvester that is doing that. And, uh, but listen, one of the things that was really interesting about being there at the mushroom farm is we had a Japanese scientist that was there. And he was growing 
shiitake, yeah. oyster mushroom, yeah. and enoki mushroom. Nice. And, 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 and the ones you put in soup. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, the enokis, if you've ever seen them in the package, they come in, in this vacuum sealed package and it's really tight and there's about a thousand of these things in there and they got a long thin stem and a tiny little cap yeah and it's like what is this anyway but they are delicious um so he was growing those three mushrooms and ultimately um we introduced fresh shiitake into the, the local markets in 1978 the first time that shiitake was in the marketplace in a commercial way in, in the United States. And the amazing thing was uh, it didn't work. People were not ready for fresh shiitake. <laughs> the, the feedback was, oh, they're just too strong. And I'm like, too really? strong? I love shiitake. What a wonderful, it's my favorite edible mushroom and and the fragrance of it is in china it's called shanggu fragrant mushroom really it's, it's wonderful and, and you know here it was i'm eating fresh shiitake in the 70s it's just like amazing <laughs> but anyway that that kind of like was a part of you know getting to know these other mushrooms in a real way knowing how to cultivate them which was really cool yeah. And just kind of expanded my my ability to know more about cultivating different species of mushrooms. Yeah, that's really interesting. So actually, while I think of it as we're on the topic of fresh mushrooms, so when people talk about um, the health benefits of mushrooms, and we're going to get into that, like the medicinal benefits of mushrooms, were you know, I'm, I would imagine it's like so many other things to actually get enough to get a therapeutic dose of those medicinal ingredients from that mushroom, either you're gonna to have to eat kilos of mushroom, or you're gonna to have to get a product that has somehow concentrated those medicinal properties. Or, and actually the other thing I guess is, as you mentioned earlier, you're gonna have different medicinal properties in different parts of the plant. And that's where we're gonna talk about the mycelium versus the mushroom cap. Is that correct? Like when I'm eating, a shiitake mushroom, like sure, it's got B vitamins, it's got lots of great stuff in it, but it's not necessarily going to impart if I really need that immune support from that the shiitake mushroom can bring. I'm not going to get that necessarily from eating that shiitake mushroom. I'd be better served by getting my hands on the right extract. Is that correct? Or am I off base? Well, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Actually, <laughs> actually, yes, you can absolutely get the medicinal benefits from eating mushrooms. But the key there is, look, and, and I'm, I'm a big proponent of people putting mushrooms into their diet. Sure. That to me is, is the forgotten food. Yeah. You know, I, I call it the missing dietary link uh, because it is what I consider food as medicine. And, 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 and look, you know, it's kind of interesting. I weighed out a medium sized button mushroom a while back, 40 grams for this fresh mushroom, 40 grams. Think about that. 40 grams. That, that's like four grams of dried mushroom. Now, um, you do have to eat a reasonable amount, not 10 kilos or anything like that, certainly, but like, like, you know, half a pound of mushrooms to me, I mean, I can eat those easily, but the key thing is putting mushrooms into your diet. The, one of the things about mushrooms is they're 
very high in fiber. They're yeah. not easily digestible. So it's this fiber, but they're, they're a wonderful food. The fiber works as a prebiotic and you're also going to be getting the beta glucans, but look, foods, let's talk about foods for just a second of, of like, okay, you chew them. How well you chew them is going to have a lot to do with getting the nutrients out of them. We, sure. None of us chew properly, right? No. <laughs> you talk to a lot of people, they say, okay, two, three, four times longer. Now chew them properly, but we don't do that. Uh, so mushrooms are not easy to digest. So you're not going to get the same benefits, let's say gram per gram as a dried mushroom powder where extract powder, where you've got a concentrated, it's in powder form now. So it's been broken down for you. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> I always recommend to people that even before they supplement, get mushrooms into your diet. Mm -hmm. They, they, all of the studies that I've seen that have been done on populations and they give them these tests, what is your diet and your lifestyle and all the rest, all of the studies show that people that eat mushrooms live longer. And I, there's enough of those studies out there now for me to say, yeah, I, I think that's probably true. Now, obviously, there's a lot of things that have to go in with you know, how long we live, lifestyle and diet oh, and all of this. But, yeah. but I absolutely... Um, feel that people need to get more mushrooms into your diet. And that's the place to start even before you supplement, you know, unless you just, oh, I just can't, can't, don't like mushrooms, but look, great food, uh, prepare it properly because that's one of the keys. Everybody's got children that say, Oh my God, that's slimy. I don't want to eat it. It's terrible. Right. It's like, no, yeah. no, no. Cook it properly. Hot pan, whatever your oil of choice is hot pan. I like to brown them on either side. Uh, they will shrink like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be at least half the size of when you put them in there, you know, slice them about a quarter of an inch thick or so, and then put them in. Uh, I like to cook them uh, for at least 10 minutes, brown them on either side. They come out, they've been browned up. They're not slimy. And one of the things about it is if it's too cool a pan, all the water comes out of them. And all of a sudden they're just sitting in a pool of water and, and you're wondering why they're, they're, you know, slimy or, or have that. No, it's like you brown them off and no, the, the moisture stays inside of them, but they are going to shrink, but that's what you have to do to cook them properly. And yeah. unless, unless of course you're making a gravy or you <laughs> put them in a, a soup or a stew or something like that. But otherwise, if you're cooking them in something else, a casserole or your eggs or something, cook them properly with a high heat. That's what's really important. I usually like to, um, like I will always add a little bit of bone broth, like I'll brown them first. And then I'll add a little bit of bone broth to the pan, like with the right fat, with the bone broth, with a couple of spices, it's yeah. they can be quite mad. Like, cause that bone broth kind of creates a glaze over the mushroom as well. Sure. Yeah. Plus, yeah. The properties of, you know, the glycine, the collagen, all that stuff in the bone broth added to the mushroom can be, it can be quite a lovely experience. <laughs> well, you know, what's, what's interesting about the mushroom is that in the mushroom cell wall, is a compound called the beta-glucan yeah. and, and it makes up 50% of the cell wall of that mushroom. So, and it is resistant to heat. So, you know, eating mushrooms, you're still going to get the benefits of these 
beta glucans and 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 that's part of the fiber in that mushroom too so again it's feeding the the microbiome it's just really a high quality some some people call it a nutrient dense food yeah. the, it's mostly carbohydrate, but those carbohydrates are like the beta glucans and another carbohydrate that's very slow acting called mannitol. Yeah. And mannitol just works through. It's, it's, it's not easy, easily digested by, it's not like starch. Mushrooms have no starch. Mm -hmm. So you're not getting this, this rush you know, of glucose or anything like that. And then you come down the other side. No, mushrooms are something and, and they're even recommended to people as something that, okay, they kind of fill you up. So that's a good thing too. You're not like still hungry or anything like that. They, they're part of, they have that sort of fiber and that bulk. And again, they're feeding a microbiome as well as giving you these beta glucans and, and other things like uh, B vitamins, B one, two, and three. Yeah. So the beta glucans, what are the, what are the nutritional properties of those guys? Is it just prebiotic? Is it mostly prebiotic or is there more health benefits to beta glucans than prebiotic? I mean, prebiotic would already be hitting a lot of marks for a lot of people, to be honest. Um, but you know, anything that can affect the po microbiome positively is going to be a benefit. Um, but beyond that, Beta glucans are what make mushrooms medicinal. Okay. Beta glucans, there's, there's a massive body of research out there uh, on the beta glucans and they, they test the beta glucans. You know, there's so many different <clears throat> uh, compounds are being tested uh, anti-cancer wise. And generally what happens if there's activities, well, a lot of that activity is um, the stimulation of immune cells. And that's what they have uh, figured out with beta glucans is that they are actually, uh, we have receptors in our lower intestine. And these receptor sites are specific to beta glucans. The beta-glucans uh, come in, they hit those receptor sites, and that basically activates the production of immune cells, macrophages, NK cells, T cells. So it, it stimulates the production of cytokines. I like to think of beta-glucans as um, potentiators. And, and here's, here's really the key to how mushrooms work, and I think this is really important for people to understand. You know, when you take, when you take a vitamin, do you like a couple hours later go, oh man, I, I feel so much better now that I've taken my vitamin C. <laughs> I can, I can feel it. <laughs> yeah. If you're very sensitive. Well, some people know, with bees might feel them, but generally speaking, not so much. <laughs> no, I mean, normally or vitamin D or something, you know, it's like you take it and okay, why do you take it? You take it because of prevention. You're going, I'm not sure I'm getting enough C. I'm not sure I'm getting enough D or whatever these other vitamins are. Mushrooms are, are like that in the sense that their activity is prevention. And, and, and so you are consuming mushrooms to basically keep yourself healthier and, and give yourself this immunological potentiation that is just kind of sitting there in the background. You don't really know if it's uh, what's going on or not, but ultimately over time, if you have a, a you know, good lifestyle, these mushrooms will be there helping you stay healthy. 
-hmm. And that's really the key. And that's how I, I look at them. And that's especially when I'm thinking of diet, that is, is really the activity. And even when you're supplementing, although, you know, we'll get into specific species and, and certain activities of those, but all of these mushrooms share these beta glucans in common. And what's interesting, Natalie, is that, that the beta glucan architecture differs from species to species. So all mushrooms have beta glucans, but all mushrooms are not highly active and what we would call medicinal. And the reason is just this, this beta glucan has different architecture and how it's structured. And, and that's why some of these mushrooms are highly active and others are not. So that's, that's, you know, again, where and why a mushroom is medicinal and others are not, but even if they're not considered medicinal, you know, to me, it's like, Hey, they have these, uh, uh, other attributes mm -hmm. that are good for you. But, but, you know, the beautiful thing is we can, we can get these medicinal mushrooms in the marketplace. We can get my talkie. Yeah. We can get shiitake. We can get lion's mane. I know. I told fresh you. <laughs> mushrooms. I mean, lion's mane is delicious. Oh, it is really excellent. Shiitake is wonderful. Maitake is good. Even the button mushroom has medicinal properties. So, you know, the mushrooms that are in our marketplace right now, especially if you're in a metropolis like Toronto, I mean, all those mushrooms will be in your markets and, and more. Oh yeah. Well, the, the lion's mane, I mean, I was telling you earlier, like I once went to farmer's market and we have a guy called the fun guy. Like he calls himself the fun guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> never heard, never heard that before. Never heard that before. <laughs> no, never heard that joke. Oh my God. That's so clever. Um, <laughs> and, and I walked by his stand and you know, he's got like these, he's got these beautiful, like he has peach colored oyster mushrooms and blue colored oyster mushrooms. And it's like this rainbow of oyster mushrooms and the shiitakes and the, you know, and he's always got some really, you know, crazy different types of mushrooms. And then he had cauliflower. And I'm like, why do you have cauliflower? And he smiles at me and he goes, this isn't cauliflower. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and it was this, it looked like a giant head of cauliflower and it was actually a giant lion's mane mushroom, which I ended up dropping a bomb on because I had to buy the whole thing so I could take a picture of <laughs> And, um, and it was, deli I mean, you know, the thing with the lion's mane to me is it's so mild tasting that it's really all about what do you, what, what would you like it to be for you today? You know, like you can, I'll bet you could make French toast with it. Like you could make whatever you want with, with lion's mane. It's very adaptable and it's, it's quite delicious. Like it's so mild and whatever flavor it might have. It's yeah. just quite amenable yeah. picking up whatever flavors you give it with your cooking kind of thing. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, it's I, I find it a little bit on the sweet side, kind of, uh, yeah. and and again, just a very pleasant mushroom. When I've had it, I'm just always like, oh, this is just so good. And and because uh, normally I, I can't get it here in Tofino. I, I, when I've had really? lion's mane, it's been primarily when I've traveled in China, and and you know, of course, in China when I'm over there, I mean there's mushrooms at every meal in some form or another and, yeah. and uh, multiple different mushrooms that they're using. And it's always a, 
a treat for uh, for us when we're there. There's even some restaurants in China that are really interesting. The whole restaurant serves nothing but mushroom dishes. You're kidding. <laughs> not, not, not alone necessarily, but every dish is, is got it's mushrooms mushroom. and a lot of them are dominated by mushrooms and it's they're really, really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so you know what, you started talking a little bit about why we can't actually grow these mushrooms here, which I think people will be interested to hear about because you know, there's, there's in the last 15 months or so, life has been a little crazy. There's been some, let's just say there's been some, some energy between the West and the East. <laughs> um, but, and there's a lot of distrust in yeah. Western, in Western people about products coming from China. And, you know, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm also, um, I'm very active in the whole peptide space. And there's this dynamic where you can get very inexpensive peptides out of China versus getting them here. There've been some, you know, but, but my, my personal story on China is I'm like, look, the cool thing about China is you can get the best products on the planet and you can get the worst. The trick is having transparency about who you're doing business with and what, how exactly they're running their business. So at some point you must've made a decision simply because of labor costs, if nothing else, and maybe other reasons I don't know yet, and I'm probably their expertise on mushrooms as well, um, to, to open a business that I think you grow, you deal with suppliers in China for your mushroom products. Am I, am I correct in that? Or Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and everything you said was really well stated. Um, <clears throat> my first trip to China was in 1989 to an international, con international mushroom conference. <laughs> okay. All, <laughs> of course. Of course. What else? <laughs> I, I never, ever thought that I would be, you know, dealing with China or going east in that. I, my orientation has always been South Mexico, South America, stuff like that. So there I am in China. Throughout the 90s, I visited almost every year. I went to research stations. I went to farms. I went to processors. I went to conferences. I made a lot of contacts. And one of the things that, that I, I realized very early and, and, you know, I've got a background in, in commercial mushroom growing. I know the economics of it. Mm -hmm. And I realized very early that you literally could not grow mushrooms in the U.S. and sell them as supplements. It was just not possible to do that economically. Now, look, that doesn't mean that there are boutique growers supplying their local herbalist who's making tinctures or something like that. Yes. But on a commercial scale where you really need a lot of product, it's just impossible. I realized that. And one of the things that I did, because my company has been organically certified since 1992, mm -hmm. uh, in 1997, I took OCIA at the time, one of the largest organic certifiers in the United States with me to China. And I organized the very first uh, organic mushroom workshop in China, 1997. And, and you know, where, where did, where did all these pesticides and chemicals and agriculture come from? Where did they, where did they originate? United States. And, and how much, how much in terms of chemicals do we pour on everything? Pesticides, fungicides, you name it. I mean, it's 
all over. So it's not really a matter necessarily of uh, how it's grown or anything like that. It's like, okay, where is it grown? Is it grown in a place where it's free from chemicals? Is it organically certified? So for me, that was very important. Yeah. All of our mushrooms are grown back in the mountains in areas that are free from the industrial lowlands. It's like, do you really want to eat something that comes out of the Gulf Coast of the United States where all the petrochemical industries are, or even in places around Toronto where they've had who knows what heavy mm -hmm. industries are spewing chemicals out into the environment? No. And, and so what's important then for me is analyzing okay, every single batch of mushrooms that is grown or extract that we make is, is analyzed for heavy metals. It's an, analyzed for pesticides and fungicides, a whole microbiological panel before it even leaves China. And then once it arrives over here, we do the whole set of analyses again. Wow. And the certifiers in China that are being used are not Chinese certifiers. They are German certifiers, high quality organic certifiers. And, and look, if we, uh, if one of the products over there that is being manufactured, one of the extracts, if it turns up with um, two or three or four, whatever <clears throat> number of pesticides or heavy metals that are too high, it just doesn't leave. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry, that's not a product that we can use. It's got to pass before it comes over. And, and, you know, a lot of people think the supplement industry is totally unregulated. Not true. Yeah. Not true. You, can, you cannot imagine, though, how many people out there just think, oh, yeah, supplement industry. Well, um, in terms of things like heavy metals and uh, microbes and <clears throat> things like pesticides, there are standards that have to be met. That doesn't mean <laughs> that it's going to be a good product. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, it has point. nothing to do with the product quality other than it'll pass those very basic tests. But um, <clears throat> for us, analyze the, the amount of money we spend on analysis every year is, is astounding. Right. Um, but important. I, I feel that's super important. I, sure. I'm don't want to be delivering products to my customers that are substandard in any way. Uh, mm -hmm. So for us actually doing uh, the basic analysis, and then we have a whole set of other analyses that we do that demonstrates, Hey, look, it actually has the active compounds in it. You know, here's it's what's not, not just, there. And here's what is there. <laughs> that that exact, that's exactly right. Because, right. you know, a couple of things are going on, one of which is is a lot of products, uh, whether it be manufactured in China or elsewhere, have a lot of carriers in them. So you've got an extract, a powdered extract, and they mix it with a maltodextrin or dextrose okay. carrier, which is kind of like a buffer in a way. But sometimes these products can be 50% of that carrier, and they're not even telling you that that's what's in there. Mm. And And... This kind of gets right into this whole uh, area of, okay, why do so many mushroom products say that they're grown or produced in the United States? Well, unfortunately, what companies in the United States do, because you can't grow mushrooms there, is they will grow the mycelium on sterilized 
grain in a laboratory. Uh, and after a period of 30 to 60 days, when the mycelium has covered this grain, they will then harvest it, basically take it out of the bags it's growing in, dry it, grind it to a powder, grain and all. So what they actually are selling you is mostly grain starch with a small amount of mycelium. Are, are you familiar with the, with the, a product called a food product called tempeh? Tempeh. Yeah. So that's, um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's fermented soy. Is it not? Okay. Absolutely right. Yeah. Okay. And, and you know what they're fermenting it with? No, I don't need it. So I don't pay that much attention to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're fermenting tempeh with, uh, with a, a fungus. Okay. And so when you look at that block of tempeh, again, cooked soybeans, it's got this kind of white growth all over it. That's yeah. mycelium. So mycelium, so, though, is the root, right? It's the, well, it's you, the you, root can definitely, you can definitely uh, think of it as a root system for sure. Uh, again, it's the actual body of this fungus. It's the vegetative body, we call it, of the fungus that then uh, essentially accumulates enough energy to put up this fruiting body that we call a mushroom. Okay. A vegetative body, fruiting body. It's kind of like, think of it as maybe the mycelium is maybe the tree. Yeah. And the mushroom is the apple. Okay. So then okay. where, and so is the, so what you're saying is in the States, because they don't, because of. And I guess it gets rid of the whole harvesting problem, right? Because my it does. It does. You don't have to hand pick mycelium. You basically have a mass of stuff yeah. that you're gonna that you're gonna use. Yeah. So, so that's interesting. So, how many of the medicinal properties are of it are present in the mycelium versus the fruiting body of the mushroom? I'm guessing that the answer is that you kind of want to wait for the fruiting body for most of the medicinal properties of a lot of the mushrooms. Well, well, look, the mycelium is a relatively simple structure uh, and it doesn't have, I mean, it's got beta glucans in its cell walls. I mean, because basically, yeah, okay, it's fungal, um, yeah. but it doesn't have the complexity that a mushroom has. The mushroom is producing a lot more interesting compounds that the mycelium is not. And look, the thing, the thing to remember is, you know, a lot of people, these companies go, well, you know, there's a ton of information out there about mycelium and the medicinal benefits of mycelium. And it's like, well, yeah, there is, but guess what? That's pure mycelium. It's not the product that you're selling. What you're selling grain. is mostly yeah. grain and, yeah. and believe it or not, these companies actually, uh, will say, oh, our, 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 our uh, uh, grain is actually uh, magic starch. <laughs> <You> know, <it's, laughs> and, and I'm like, look, you are selling tempeh, which is generally a food product because it's mostly that uh, grain, that bean, soybean that you are growing it on. It's a food product, but you grind it all up and now you call it a mushroom. They call it a mushroom. And that's the worst part of it. Mm -hmm. The label shows a picture of a mushroom and it says reishi mushroom or maitake mushroom. If you're lucky when you turn it over and this sort of gets into 
how do you know? Yeah, how well, do you know? Turn it over. Look at the supplement's facts. If it says mycelium, okay, there's number one. Um, if you look down in the fine print where it says other, meaning other ingredients, sometimes, not always, sometimes they'll say myceliated brown rice, myceliated oats. Oh, number two. Right. Okay. So, uh, and then if it says uh, manufactured or grown in the U.S., absolutely, you know for sure that's what it is. And, and look, it's very simple. If you've already got one of those products and you bought it and you're like, well, I don't know, it seems to be working for me. Look, just take it out, uh, uh, dump four or five capsules into a quarter cup of water, mix it up really good, put in uh, 10 drops of iodine. If there is starch in there, it will turn black. This, this liquid really? will turn black. It's a great, easy little test if you're like, oh, well. And, you know, the other thing is just taste it. <laughs> you taste those products. Natalie, it just tastes like grain powder. So it's very easy to actually um, uh, determine what you have there. But the people marketing those products, you know, they're just telling you how wonderful their mushrooms are. And unfortunately, what happens is, generally speaking, the companies that are manufacturing them, not all of them, but some of them will say mycelium and they'll tell you that they've got grain in there. But they also sell the raw materials to other companies and they sell it to other companies as mushroom. The other company then puts it out. They don't do the same thing in terms of saying exactly what it is. So mm -hmm. it's, it's not always easy, but those are the three things to look for. If it says uh, in the other, if it tells you the grains there, if it says mycelium on the back panel, if it says mushroom on the front. The other thing too is look, um, they sometimes talk about, oh, it's full spectrum. Yeah. We have spore, we have mycelium, we have fruiting body, um, and, and it's like that again is just a, a smokescreen. And, and the key is, is that we have tests for beta glucans and analytical tests for beta glucans. And it also tells us the alpha glucan that's in there. The alpha glucan are the starches. If, if they're talking about polysaccharides too, by the way, well, <laughs> the starches are polysaccharides. So they can say, oh, we've got 50% polysaccharide. Well, yeah, because you're measuring the grain powder. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so look, our, our testing has, has shown that it's demonstrated what's going on. A lot of companies now and people are finally waking up to this fact. And, and so a lot of companies, especially ones that buy from us, they'll on their label, they'll say no grain, no mycelium, no starch and what we do is we will guarantee a certain level of beta glucans in the product. And, mm -hmm. you know, for me, I consider that to be very important. I mean, my God, you look at, doesn't matter what herbal products out there. There's a million of them in every category. What one do I take? Who do mm -hmm. I trust? Man, it is so difficult. And you may go to the, the clerk there and say, oh, well, what would you recommend? And you know what? They're going to recommend a product from whatever salesperson blew through supporting a certain product. And they're going to say, oh, that's the one to buy there. Yeah. So yeah. it's really, really difficult. Bit of a quagmire. So, um, so we know that we don't want to be growing our mushrooms on grain. 
what do we want our mushrooms to be grown on? Well, remember, they're not growing mushrooms on grain. They're, they're growing, growing mycelium. mycelium. And right. this, is, this is what's so important. Don't get, you know, people get caught up in that. Oh, well, you know, like you're, you're saying here, well, what is your, they're growing their mushrooms on grain. What are you growing your mushrooms on? No, they're growing mycelium on grain. We're growing mushrooms on what mushrooms are grown on naturally, which is either a wood log mm-hmm. or sawdust. And it's really kind of interesting. You know, most medicinal mushrooms are wood decomposers. Right. Because, because the thing, the interesting thing about mushrooms, the way I think of them is mushrooms will, I mean, any plant is the same, but mushrooms to a certain degree, even more so are going to, they have to, by their very nature, they're going to concentrate whatever nutrients they're pulling out of their substrate, which is what's going to give you the value out of it. Right. So if you don't grow, if you grow the mushroom on something that is undesirable or it's not what you're looking for, you're going to end up eating a concentrated version of whatever that is. Well, yeah, well, yeah, you know what? Well, for example, I mean, the wood is what is supplying the precursors to these mushrooms that allows them to produce Mm -hmm. the uh, compounds that we're looking for. Right. So that substrate, and I'm I'm glad you you know that word because it's a wonderful word. (laughs) (laughs) And the word of the day is substrate. (laughs) Substrate. (laughs) (laughs) Right after mycelium. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and look, you know, anything, uh, any plant or mushroom, whatever it's growing in, it will take the minerals out of that and the mineral profile will be uh, due to what it's growing on. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, that's something too, that, that is very important for the overall profile of that, that mushroom. Yeah, for sure. Okay. All right. So we kind of know what to look for on the label. We kind of know what to, people should be, the questions they should be asking uh, we know a little bit about the medium, what we don't want, what we might want to look for. Um, let's get into some of the mushrooms. Um, I, when I went to, when I was in school and we talked about my nutrition school and we talked about mushrooms, the teachers would talk a lot about the differences in properties and the different uses for applications, if you will, for the different mushroom products. So you're going to have a powdered mushroom product, then you're going to have a tincture and that tincture might be alcohol extracted or water extracted. And both of those, because of the solubility of different compounds in the mushroom, you're gonna get different properties depending on whether it's water or alcohol. I think some companies might do both and combine them. So do we wanna talk, oh, and my takeaway was the tincture is going to be the most concentrated form of those active elements that you're looking for. That, and that was just my takeaway. I don't know if I'm right about that. Um, whereas the powder is still going to give you therapeutic and lots of great stuff. My takeaway was, you know, like, for example, we mentioned chaga earlier and we said we were going to talk about it. And chaga is interesting because I'm not sure that it's a classic mushroom per se. I've heard that it might be more, I can't remember what the word, the proper word is, but it's certainly like you need an axe. If you're going to hunt for chaga... <laughs> You're not, you're not plucking it delicately off the side of a birch tree. So like it's, it's a thing. So, <laughs> and, and I actually think I once harvested a giant chunk of chaga and didn't realize what it was and <laughs> wandered it. I'm like, 
committing Harry <laughs> Carey over that. But anyway, so I've asked you about 27 different questions here. So let's back up. Let's go to the tinctures and the powders. Let's talk about those first. Yeah. And then we can talk about what sets chaga apart from the other mushrooms we may talk about today because I'll cook chaga, but yeah, yeah, yeah. for a tea. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, first, <clears throat> look, um, in traditional Chinese medicine, Mm-hmm. They they basically if they prescribe you something they'll prescribe you and you look at it it's like that this this little paper full of herbs <laughs> no idea <laughs> and, and they t- take it home and you know boil it up if you take yeah. it home you boil the hell out of it and, and the whole idea is essentially to pull everything out of that fiber and and, and that's really the key is when you're doing. Uh, um, a liquid extract like that. And look, all extracts for the most part are, are done in some way where we're trying to pull everything out of the fiber and we're trying to get it to the point where that fiber is, is no longer got anything that we're looking for no longer valuable. And, and so at that point, then we will separate out the fiber and now we'll have this liquid with all the goodies in it. And, And look, you know, um, we think of that as, okay, everything that's water soluble is out of there. Well, the thing about it is, is actually uh, that hot water pulls out more than just water soluble components. It'll, it'll uh, pull out components that are not soluble, but the difference is, is they can be there, but they're not soluble. It's just like, have you ever made a, a, a chicken soup? Yeah. Lots. Does the, does the fat come out of the, when you're boiling it up, does the fat come out of that chicken? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, sort of. yeah. Well, and it's not soluble. Yeah. yeah, it's not soluble. So, so this is something where people kind of get confused at times because they think, right. oh, gee, unless you've got alcohol, you're not going to get those fats and things like that. Not, not true. It's the same with reishi triterpenoids. Reishi triterpenoids. Um, if you boil up a reishi mushroom uh, and taste it, it will be very bitter. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, those are the triterpenoids. And people say the same thing about that. Oh, oh, you know what? No, ratio, you've got to have alcohol. The water will take out 85, 90% of those triterpenoids. Maybe there's 5% that are resistant and you need to get alcohol to pull those out, which is what we do. But but essentially that water extract is going to, if done properly, is going to get everything out of that fiber, which then you can uh, throw away as just basically fiber. You know, fiber is great when we're eating it. We need fiber, but yeah. in those, we're trying to make a concentrate. And one of the reasons we make a concentrate or a liquid extract, and certainly in traditional Chinese medicine, is then you drink it. It's liquid. It, it's faster acting, mm-hmm. and uh, so that that's just the common method there. We, when we're doing our extractions, we do it in very very large tanks of water. Uh, it's 90 degrees Celsius, uh, under pressure, cooking it for three hours, pull the water off, cook it up again for three hours, maybe do one cook with alcohol. If it's reishi or chaga or something, then we concentrate that fluid down to like a syrup. And then we send that to a spray dryer and, and a spray dryer is like a very, very huge cone very hot inside. And at the very top, the, this uh, liquid gets sprayed in there and then it's, it cycles down, takes about 10 seconds to get to the bottom. It comes out of fine powder. No kidding. 
Okay. So, so listen, that has everything in it. Nothing so the is more concentrated than the, than the liquid. Well, well, yes. I mean, I mean, the powder is, well, if you were to take that liquid, you know, if you were to concentrate down, just take that liquid and then go ahead and sell it as a liquid extract. Okay. Yeah. you got a really solid liquid extract. That's not normally what happens. And I'll sort of get to that, but at any rate for us, then we've got that fine powder, which mm -hmm. has got everything in. We want our extract to have the same profile basically as the mushroom. That for us is really important. So, so, and, and remember, if you're doing a, a true concentrate where you want eight kilos of mushrooms to be one kilo of final extract, well, well, you can't have the fiber in there because eight kilos does not go into one kilo. So no. you're cooking those multiple times, right, yeah. to actually concentrate it down and ultimately have. Uh, uh, a one kilo that's got a high percentage of everything there that you're looking for, which means that rather than somebody having to take 10 capsules of mushroom powder, now they only have to take two capsules. Like instead right. of 10, 10 grams of powder, you only have to take one gram of powder. So that, that's really the, the idea behind a powdered extract. And there's no reason why that powdered extract should be any less potent than liquid. And, and, you know, what happens with most liquid extracts or tinctures is that on a commercial scale, when you buy one of those, you look at it and maybe there's a little bit of residue on the bottom, but if it's mostly clear, it's mostly going to be nothing more than alcohol and water with, you know, maybe it got a little bit of a taste of the herb. If you want a really solid liquid extract, it better be cloudy. There should be residue in there. Mm -hmm. And, and um, that, that's where a actual herbalist right. who's making those tinctures is going to have a much better product than a lot of those commercial products mm -hmm. that are on the market. And, and we've, we've looked at those and we've tested some of those. And, and, you know, a lot of it is what's the level of dissolved solids in there. Again, is there much of a residue at the bottom or if you eliminate all of the liquid, what do you ultimately have? And generally speaking, you don't have a lot in mm -hmm. that little bottle and people who are selling you that say, okay, take one dropper a day or something like that. And I, I tell you, there is very little benefit from most of those tinctures, unless you're getting it from, an herbalist that you know, and it's, and it's highly concentrated and you can take it and you really feel it. Okay. Then, and people like it because they um, feel that being sublingual like that, it will be more fast acting. And, and that's probably the case. But a lot of times when you're taking those little tincture bottles, it's like, oh, it's, there's a nice little tingling there. There must be something happening. It's alcohol. Well, usually, usually it's just the alcohol, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, so, so it, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, for us, I don't, you know, again, maybe there's one or two companies out there. One in particular, I know in the United States where I'd say they make good tinctures, mm -hmm. so many of the others. And I, I've known people who have produced uh, tinctures on a, large scale. I've known them. I've known how they've worked with them. And some of them do a very good job. And uh, a friend of mine who is in that business, his whole thing was, look, 
I want people to feel something. I want, I really want somebody to feel something. And that's where in traditional Chinese medicine, they want people to feel something. They don't want people to be taking one dropper full. No, no, they want you. You know, I mean, think about that for a minute. They're boiling all those up. And now you have a whole glass of liquid. Yeah. With powder. Like when I, when I go to my acupuncturist and she gives me one of those, it's like they, they make them themselves. And I come home with like a, a whole row of these little packages and I'm pouring the powder into the wall, into my cup. And then I'm pouring the boiling water in and I have to let it sit for a certain amount of time. And sometimes it tastes okay. And sometimes it's hideous. Yeah. 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 Stirring it and drinking it. So you don't leave all the stuff at the bottom. It's yeah. Well, well, no, that's right. And, and you know, those, those, um, uh, liquid extracts that the traditional Chinese medicine producers are making. I mean, a lot of them are just horrible tasting. And, 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 you know, I I think that's where the whole thing of medicine and tasting bad, it comes from. Yeah, no, they they reinvent that. Okay. So let's, so this is great. Now, what I really want also is I'd like people to walk away with some understanding of some of the main mushroom products, some of the main mushrooms that people and talk about and really how we can get the most value out of them. So we agreed at the beginning that we were going to talk about reishi, which reishi's big claim to fame has to do with immune support. Um, turkey tail also is a big immune support mushroom, is it not? I think. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, then there's also less exotic, only because we can buy them to eat them. Is the shiitake and the maitake also have immune? And you use those in a in a blend, right? You have a five defender yep. blend. That's right. And, then we have the cordyceps, which when my husband was going to climb Machu Picchu, I read was really good to start. You had to start 30 days earlier before somebody went at a high altitude. And if they took, um, did a run of 30 day run of cordyceps leading into that time, it would help to somehow improve their oxygen carrying capacity. And you probably know more about the details about exactly what happens there or roughly lion's mane, which you know, the biohacking crowd is all crazy, crazy for because it's this nootropic, great for the brain. Um, and then we've got chaga, which is again, back to chaga, which we, I probably led you off track when I first started talking about how you have to take chaga off a tree with an ax, which is a little bit different as mar- far as mushrooms go, I think. Well, let, let's just start with chaga because okay. chaga is really, is kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, chaga is not a mushroom. Thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, it's not mycelium uh, nope. and, and it's not what's called a sclerotia. A sclerotia, which is, is a uh, fungal form <laughs> that, that, actually, that actually is kind of, think of uh, uh, a chaga as kind of like a potato and, and it okay. grows underground and it's pure 100% mycelium and it grows underground and there's a number of uh, like uh, Poria cocos is a uh, one that they use a lot in China. And again, it, 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 they cultivate it and it's all cultivated under the earth. And it's really an interesting fungus, primarily used as a diuretic. But, but the reason I bring it up is that people talk about chaga and they're not quite sure what to call it because yeah. here's what chaga really is. Chaga is a manifestation of a fungal disease that attacks 
birch trees and <laughs> actually it's actually what is called a canker great you're making it sound very not appealing i'm just here to i know i know you're not going to put it on your table tomorrow and eat it besides it's hard and 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 so chaga grows off the sides of these infected trees and the chaga is a manifestation of this tree trying to stop this mycelium which is inside the trunk and it's moving up and down this tree as it is slowly taking over the tree. And so the tree at a certain point was kind of push outwards. And then next thing you know, this canker forms and it is got a black outer layer of melanin. It's very irregular. It's hard. If you want to harvest it, you have to take a, a, an ax or yeah. maybe some people use a small chainsaw or something to take it off. You know, a lot of people say, oh, gee, you know, you're damaging the tree and, and this and that. The tree is dead standing. It's not, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you take the manifestation of the disease off of it. Huh. And the, in any sort of birch forest or even the forest that I live in, we have trees that have been colonized early by fungi and at a certain point um they uh, they're growing up and everything sort of looks okay but no they don't look super healthy they can all of a sudden break yeah halfway up 30 feet up they can just break and it'll just come falling down and then next thing you know you see all of these different what we would call bracket fungi uh off the side of the tree and we know yeah that that was an infected tree and, and Really, what way the way a lot of these trees get infected is that um, in a forest, any forest, when a branch somehow gets broken off or something, that's an open wound on a tree. Right, right. And so the the fungal spores are always present, uh -huh. and they will end up on that uh, uh, in that open part, and yeah. then they will germinate. They'll start to grow, and over years and years and years they will start to colonize that tree. So the chaga is a canker, but you know, it's like, how do you sell cankers? It's kind of like, so, <laughs> so, I'm like so. you just killed me on the chaga, dude. So like, <laughs> well, I, now come on. So now I need to be happy that I don't have that much chaga in, on the birch trees on, at my cottage, because that means my birch trees are actually healthy. <laughs> Well, well, yes, that's right. That's right. That's absolutely right. Five to they, they figure five to 20% of birch in any birch forest are infected with chaga. It's just a natural order of things. In my forest here, um, we've got infected trees with two or three different what we call polypores, these bracket fungi. And the difference between a polypore and a regular fleshy fungus, we call a mushroom, is that the polypore has pores underneath, right. not gills. Yeah. Not gills. Yeah. So reishi is a polypore. Yeah. Oh, it okay. is. Okay. Yeah, reishi is a polypore. You turn it over, there are no gills. It's just all pores. Uh, most of the mushrooms that we're talking about are sort of general fleshy fungi with gills and so on, shiitake, maitake. Lion's mane is a little bit different. Yeah. Um, it's its own animal, really. Yeah. Okay, so, so, so listen. Chaga, which is a very specific. So chaga is a specific infection that happens to birch trees specifically. And somehow this horrible thing that happens to the birch tree produces this growth that happens to have exceptional medicinal properties when we take it, chop it up, 
or grind it. Some people will grind it into a powder. They'll put it in water. I like to put it when I use it with like a cinnamon stick and a little bit of a vanilla pod and I will cook it under pressure or I'll just um, let it boil till the water gets black. And then I will use that sometimes. I mean, I haven't done it in a long time, but I will sometimes make up my coffee in the morning with half chaga, half coffee and do whatever I'm going to do to my coffee. So sure. Sure. You know what? And and look, one of the things I I would like to stress here is that if you go out on the internet and you Google or, or search for, chaga you'll come up with a million and one sites touting it as as like the panacea Mm -hmm. these sites call it the king of mushrooms that kind of thing that's all hyperbole Mm -hmm. um they they know chaga doesn't do all of the things they claim it does it's not the king of mushrooms that's just sales talk (laughs) chaga (laughs) chaga has certain properties primarily um triterpenoids it doesn't it has a very low amount of beta glucans yeah one one of the lowest that we've actually tested because there's not a lot of fungal matter in that chaga it has that dark outer uh, uh black layer and then underneath it is this cinnamon brown area that is mostly decomposed wood with yeah. some mycelium in there. Um, it's got these triterpenes in there that have demonstrated some interesting antiviral activities. Mm-hmm. And traditionally, it was used for people with um, intestinal or stomach disorders. And so if people, for me, if, if somebody has um, uh, IBS, irritable bowel syndrome or Crohn's or something like that, I, I always say, well, look, try chaga because there does seem to be some, you know, that that's how they primarily were using it for these types of disorders. Try that first. And that's where I would put chaga. It's not, you know, a panacea. I mean, it's, it's crazy. The stuff that people talk about, like you would. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Hyperbole, total yeah. hyperbole. It's just, it's just, again, it's sales speak. It's all it is. And so, so I, 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 you know, like to advise people, please do not think it's going to be a cure-all. It is not. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So chaga. So then, so now chaga, not exactly a mushroom in the classic sense of what we understand <laughs> mushrooms to be. It does have triterpenoids, which have some antiviral activity. And if anything, traditionally, from the people who probably know how to use it best, it would have been used for intestinal issues like um, IBS, Crohn's, things like that. So, well, yes, and, and I'm not saying they used it specifically for that, but I'm just saying if you have those conditions, you should give it a try because th- there's not a lot of specificity in, in when you read up on the literature on how they used it and exactly what was going on with the person that they were treating with it. So, right. you know, because it was also a folk remedy for cancer, and, and you know, it's not going to cure anybody's cancer either, although, you know, they will, there are claims about that, but, mm-hmm. but for God's sakes, everybody don't think that mushrooms are going to be a cancer cure. They're not. Okay. All right. Well then on that note, let's move on to, uh, let's move on to, let's stay with the immune in the mushrooms with immune properties. Let's move on to reishi because reishi is very, it's very particular. It's extremely bitter. 
like people will drink reishi tea. I don't know how they do it. Um, <laughs> um, but let's talk a little bit. So reishi is a traditional, it's a classic mushroom, right? It's, is it the one that's quite beautiful? It kind of has orange and reddy kind of rings. It's sort of flat, grows out almost sideways from the side of the tree. Well, it can grow out sideways. It also can just grow straight up on a stem. But yeah. It is very beautiful. It's red. It's it's kind of got this uh, shape, geometric shape. that's like in a, a ram's horn type of shape. Yeah. So it's a beautiful, beautiful mushroom. It, it is bitter. The bitterness comes from the triterpenoids. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and that's... Uh, um, that, that's what makes reishi special, actually, because all of these mushrooms share, with the exception of, let's say, chaga, which is, has low amounts, but all of them share these beta-glucans together. So they all have these immunological properties. But uh, reishi also has the triterpenoids. Now, interestingly enough, again, we test all of our mushrooms for beta-glucans. What mushrooms have the highest amount of beta-glucans? Lo and behold reishi and turkey tail interesting interesting they have 50 percent beta glucans in our testing whereas um my talkie would have around 40 uh lion's mane shiitake would be 30 to 35 percent so really sort of interesting to me when when the testing showed that reishi and turkey tail had 50 percent of beta glucans i thought wow well there's maybe that's one of the reasons why they're so highly regarded so it's got these triterpenoids and the triterpenoids uh, um, they act in a couple of ways one uh, unlike the beta glucans which have demonstrated the uh, potentiation of immune cells the triterpenoids in in clinical testing actually has shown direct cyto toxic effects on cancer cells and so on, which is interesting, which doesn't mean they're, you know, again, take these and they're going to kill your cancer or anything. I know that, but that's interesting, but they're primarily used in, in China for liver dysfunction. So if you, if you have problems with your liver, if, if uh, uh, reishi is the herb that they will all, all often give, and it's considered something that will help, you know, purify your, your blood and uh, good for the heart. Uh, also used for insomnia, which mm. is interested. They 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 consider it to be something that is will calm you. You know, it's like de-stress you a little bit. So it's a calming herb. So so they have sh shown some good uh, some good tests that have shown that it does have some uh, effects for people with insomnia. So yeah, that's, that's the reishi. That's the reishi. Yeah, and and you know, again, uh, just to pull turkey tail into that same yeah. arena again high amount of beta-glucans. Uh, they've actually developed a couple of drugs from turkey tail out in uh, Asia, PSP, PSK, where they refine it. They do uh, an extract. They refine it multiple times to get it into a, a stage where it is primarily what is called a protein-bound polysaccharide, which uh, appears to be highly active uh, component. So they, they do purify it to that, you know, they leave some of the other stuff out, get, uh, and just have this kind of pure protein bound polysaccharide. Okay. So PSP, PSK. PSP. So these are drugs that have actually been manufactured from Turkey tail. Yes. And, and, and PSK is manufactured in Japan, sold as a drug, considered a drug. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be a drug over here because the fact of it's like, 
protein I read about it. it's not yeah. purified as one compound so it would never pass as a drug here but in japan it's it's uh, prescribed as a drug and they use it in conjunction with um uh, cancer therapies where they're giving people radiation or chemotherapy and they use it basically to help um keep a more competent immune system because your immune system is being torn down and so they use it there to augment immunity and tests uh, you know the thing about these two two uh um drugs is is that they've done a lot of clinical trials with them to show that there is you know definite benefits there where you know people do live longer when they've had these conditions and use that in conjunction with these other therapies so, so in uh, North America, where you might not be able to get your hands on PSK because it's available in Japan, would using turkey tail as an adjunct when you're having one of these therapies possibly be helpful? Like a yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say absolutely so. Because we are always looking for ways to support that. Like, you know, for people who just, you know, they, they have to go through these treatments, we're always looking for ways to mitigate the damaging effects of those treatments on the healthy parts of the body. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and look, you know, Natalie, what's interesting is that is that these two products are very, very expensive. The PSK and PSP. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Too expensive. I mean, I wanted to uh, I, I was a friend of the Chinese scientist that actually developed PSP. And I always wanted to, you know, you've got to get me some of this stuff. But but he had sold the rights to it to a Hong Kong company and I had to deal with them and, and it was just so expensive that, that there was no point in me uh, purchasing it and trying to sell it to my customers because nobody was willing to pay that much money for it. And, and, and so, I don't blame yeah, so, them. So have they done something to the turkey tail or you don't know, or is it just ultra concentrated? It's just ultra concentrated. And again, it's not like, it's not like just a very concentrated extract. They actually refine it down because they're, they're trying to eliminate certain of the compounds there just so it's primarily this protein bound polysaccharide. So there's multiple steps to get there. And that's what I call a process driven extract product. You know, most extracts we can say, oh yeah, okay, hot water, hot water, alcohol, and it's all kind of the same basic process. But, but this is very different, and there are multiple steps that you go through to reach this end product. And one of the problems with the two, and you know, when I say protein bound polysaccharides, a protein bound beta glucan, but the the issue is there's very almost no way that you can actually test it. There's no lab out there that can test it. Right. And, and uh, it, oh man, yeah, maybe you could get a lab to do it. And they say, oh yeah, okay, it's going to take us $2,000 or $3,000 just to develop, to get the method. And then we have to, because nobody's testing it on a regular basis. There is no real test for it. So it's right. hard to qualify products like that. Somebody's selling it and they say, oh, I've got, I've got PSK or I've got PSP. You want to buy it and it's good price and all that. Well, it's like, you know, now it's like, it's like when I was traveling around China in the nineties, I had processors always approaching me, especially at conferences. I've got this great maitake extract here. Um, and I look at it and all I see is a brown powder. I don't know what it is. They mm-hmm. say it's a, a maitake extract. I have no idea. Yeah. You know, they're telling me this, but I don't know unless I can actually test it in some way. And back then I didn't have really the test to do that. 
And, you know, that, that gets back to the whole thing of in the very beginning, everybody was selling their product over there as, okay, we tested it for polysaccharides. And I thought, oh yeah, okay, if it's high in polysaccharides, it must be, must be good. I didn't learn till later when I got this beta glucan test that, that these polysaccharides that a lot of them were, they were talking about were mostly starches and carrier materials. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah. Crazy. Okay. So then let's, um, so, cause we're going long here. Now we're moving into marathon podcast, which is great because we've got lots of information, but let's just, um, do we, do we, do you at all want to touch on maybe what, a what an effective type doses of reishi and turkey tail? Are we talking like a gram a day or a hundred milligrams a day? Is there, are there general guidelines for that? Or is it the kind of thing that you really, it's specific to the person based on what they're dealing with, you know, in terms of kind of a minimum effective dose of how we might use these products or is that for another day? Well, no, 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 we, we can do it. And, and I'll try and be reasonably brief here, but you know, it's yeah. like, it's like when you buy a bottle of supplement and it's like, okay, we've got 60 capsules, take two yeah. a day. Why? Oh, it's a month supply. Very easy. Right. Well, what two a day for a uh, 120 pound person or a 200 pound person. Does that make any sense? Of course not. Mm-hmm. So, so you, a person's going to have to make some decisions there on how much they take to be able to get an effective dose. Somebody who is a, a medical doctor, uh, but was raised in Hong Kong and learned traditional Chinese medicine as well, did a, a survey for reishi, uh, how it was being used traditionally. And he came up with a, a basic guideline, two to five dried grams per day of just the dried mushroom or extract equivalent, mm-hmm. which means yeah. let, let's just go on the high end and say, okay, five grams of reishi mushroom that I'm going to brew into a tea or something like that, just the mushroom. Or what if I had a 10 to one extract? Okay. 500 milligrams of a 10 to one extract. So I like to use this with all the mushrooms and, and, and again, uh, I, I really think with supplements in general that, a lot of them just don't have enough no. kick in there to do anything at all. And especially when they're, they're trying to get this down to this two capsules a day thing. And, and uh, you know, may, maybe it's nothing more than ground up herb or something like that. And you're like, yeah, I'd have to take half a bottle to get any effect from it. So it, it's something where really you have to look carefully for, but that that's what I tend to use two to five dry, grams of dried mushroom or extract equivalent. And that goes across whether it's turkey tail, reishi. Yes. And, and I would, I would say, you know, if you can, if you can afford it, stay at the high end of these things because I'm sure. uh, um, really, and especially if you, if you have something where you really, you know, need some real power to whatever right. it is. Like if you're yeah. going through a health thing or whatever. Yes, exactly. And just think back to the traditional Chinese medicine practitioners. They're, they're going on the high end. They want to see something. They want something mm-hmm. to happen. Okay. Um, all right. Let's move on to lion's mane, the brain, the big brain. Uh, brain. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. The, the favorite of the people in the tropics industry, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's popping up everywhere, right? Oh, I know. I know it, it so. really has. And, and, you know, it, it's interesting because there are compounds in lion's mane that, that stimulate what's called nerve growth factor. Nerve yeah. growth factor helps to organize and maintain our neurons, 
Yeah. Um, and, and especially as we grow older, we're not producing as much nerve growth factor. So the, the way it kind of goes is if we can give it some help in producing this and keep our neurons working and, and uh, uh, that will be very helpful to us. And they've done some studies, some actual clinical trials. Yeah. And, and, you know, for what it's worth, they, they, they give people a control group and, and another group, they give them a battery of tests that they do. They, uh, in this one particular study, they take the lion's mane for 120 days. The control group doesn't, they give them tests after that. And the people taking the lion's mane do better. And then they stop taking it. And 30 days later, they test them again. And the people taking the lion's mane go back down to baseline. So yeah, 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 it it was interesting. And, and so there, there's studies out there with, uh, um, dementia and with memory issues and things like that. And, you know, that's, that's kind of why Lion's Mane has reached the pinnacle that it's reached now, which is like it, you know, Natalie, five five (laughs) years ago, I was selling, I was selling a hundred kilos of Lion's Mane extract a year. Today we're selling 10 tons of it. That's how much it has changed in terms of it's the number one, seller for us. And like I say, five years ago, hundred kilos, nobody wanted lion's mane, lion's mane. What the hell? Yeah. 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 So, so the, it's been driven by the whole nootropics community that have been look, looking for anything that helps to stimulate, uh, you know, functions, uh, you know, and make them a little more you know, active in some way. I mean, that's why I drink coffee in the morning. <laughs> and speaking of coffee, that's where I like to take reishi and I've got a, a very bitter reishi extract, but I throw it in with my black coffee, adds another bitter note in there, but that's fine. It just, it's fine. I, I taste good because I kind of like that bitter flavor and it just adds another note to that bitterness. So that's one of the ways I will take a uh, reishi powder. Oh, and the reishi powder, you only need half, half a gram, like 500 yeah. milligrams. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, 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 like at, a- the, at the most, because this extract that I'm taking is our most powerful. It's a 16 to one extract. It is concentrated bitterness. And huh. so, you know, I, I, it could be 250, 300 milligrams that I'm putting yeah. in. So it. we're talking like a, an eighth of a teaspoon or so, a tenth of a teaspoon. Yeah, so yeah, it's not, it's not a lot, but yeah, it's not a lot, but yeah. Tiny but mighty. Um, <laughs> okay. Cordyceps. Cordyceps. Well, well, um, performance. Yeah. Performance. And you know, the reason why, why it's used for performance is one, like you talked about earlier, there have been some studies that shown that, that we are able to utilize oxygen better and, and they've used it at high altitudes. Interestingly enough, cordyceps grows up in Tibet. That's where they harvest the wild cordyceps. Uh, But traditionally it's been used for people with uh, what's called neurasthenia, which is you're just kind of fatigued. You're you're coming out of an illness. You're fatigued. You can't seem to take the last step. You're still tired. Don't have energy. That's where they give cordyceps. And that's why it's kind of been picked up with people in the athletic crowd Mm -hmm. is kind of like, oh, gee, fatigue. Yeah. Okay. Let me try it. So, so uh, that's, the traditional use of cordyceps and and here's what's really great about cordyceps is that that up until recently it was all wildcrafted um and it's called the caterpillar fungus the wildcrafted cordyceps which it basically is a caterpillar that that essentially hibernates 
never oh, wakes it up grows because on the caterpillar, right? It grows off the caterpillar, one tiny little uh, cordyceps. It's, it's not a traditional mushroom. Um, so it's, uh, and it's called winter worm, summer mm -hmm. grass, because it's like a blade of grass. People are on their hands and knees combing the pastures up there looking for this. Maybe they'll find two or three or four or five in a single day. That's it. It's, it's not just, practical. <laughs> this does not sound scalable. <laughs> no. Well, you know, and, and what happened is, is because of the, the increased demand, um, today it sells for somewhere around 15,000 U.S. per dried kilogram. So what are we getting from our, so when we order cordyceps, what are we getting? We're not getting, well, well, we're not getting two little things. caps off the mushroom head. Off, <laughs> off the no, you will never get that. And believe me, when I tried to introduce that into the supplement market in the early nineties, people looked at me like uh, caterpillars. You, you really think my customers are going to eat caterpillars, especially the ones that are vegetarian. Are you kidding? Yeah. Well, and it's like mad caterpillar disease, right? It's growing out of their head, like what's wrong with their brain. Although, you know, it would be interesting to think about what compounds it's, it's concentrating from the caterpillar that are becoming bioactive to help us with our well, energy problems. Well, you know what? And, and, and look, we grow, we grow cordyceps now. We cultivate it. We grow, we cultivate it on actually on uh, grain, believe it or not. <laughs> but, but the grain's not part of the product. Remember that. The grain right. is just the substrate. Right. Um, so so uh, we grow another species. It's called uh, Cordyceps militaris. And it's been used interchangeably with Ophiocordyceps sinensis, which is the caterpillar fungus. So, so today, uh, um, our, what we're growing is, is much cheaper. It's something that we can put out. Now people can have cordyceps, 100%, nothing but cordyceps um, in, in a, a reasonable priced, uh, you know, reasonable cost and all of that and right. get the benefits of cordyceps. So, and, and cordyceps militaris, when you see a picture of it, and there's a picture on the website, yeah. it is bright orange. It is beautiful. And you know what else is cool about it? They actually are growing it and putting it into the food markets in China. Wow. You can buy it and cook it up. I, I will send you a plate of Cordyceps Militaris that I was served at a meal a few years ago. And it is very, very mushroomy and tasty. Huh. So that's the Militaris. That's the Militaris. So that's the one that grows off the grain. Yes. Yeah. So, and, and, and again, I'm just so it's non-GMO, the best grain on the planet. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, yes. Yes. And yes, there's yes. no, and so for people who have issues with grain, none of those compounds from the grain are going to get transmuted to the, to the mushroom. In any no, way. no, okay. no, 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 no. Cool. Not at all. Okay, we're going to finish up. I wanted to talk, the last thing I wanted to talk about, I mean, we could keep talking for days, but, you know, eventually people are going <laughs> to move on off something. Um, I wanted to talk a little, so you, in your, in your store, if memory serves, you sell a lot of these individual mushroom uh, powders and, and extracts, but you also have a couple of, com like you have one combination in particular that I think is worth mentioning, given the current state of the world where everybody is very concerned about the function and the ability of their immune system to properly rise up to whether it's deal with um, 
a vaccine so that they have a proper immunological response to that vaccine, if that's what their belief is, or if they just believe that what they really need to do is support their immune system so that there's no virus that they could come across that could possibly make them more than just, you know, sure. ill. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they should. And I think that that, I, if you still call it that, it's called, it was called the five defenders blend, which is these five superstar mushrooms. I'm going to know, I think I know four of them for sure. Shiitake, maitake, reishi, and turkey tail. And, um, yep. and, and chog is the fifth one. And chog is the fifth. So yep. how would people use this? And is it like, is it the kind of thing you would just kind of put a quarter or a half or whatever teaspoon into a hot drink every day? kind of thing or do you well, use well you know what this is this is an interesting product because it's our it's made of our uh, top concentrates so every one of those mushrooms that is in there is a concentrated extract mm-hmm. uh, I, I would certainly recommend uh, I, i'm not sure what the normal but i would recommend you know oh two capsules a day how did i figure that one out um and and uh, <laughs> you know so so basically a, a gram a day of this and and it comes either in powder or in capsules and and you know look there's there's some research out there that seems to show a certain synergy uh between the mushrooms and not enough that i'm totally convinced that you know, there's definite synergies and this is what they, they do. But the fact that we've got these five together, they're all in concentrated form, really kind of covers the bases in some ways. And, and one of the things I do tell people is, look, do not buy products that have more than that, because what happens is then the powerful mushroom species get diluted and you bring in another species that is not as good. So as you add more species, the product quality goes down and down and down. And, and like, you know, it's like one of these kitchen sink products where it's like, Oh gee, the more different things I can put in there, the better it is. And it's just such a, a fallacious idea. Right. Right. Good word. Our next word of the day, fallacious, <laughs> right after substrate. Um, okay, so I keep, I, how many times have I said last question? Um, how long do the powders keep? Oh, uh, two years. Two years, okay. Yeah, powders are, that was are a fine. Very, yeah. very, 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 very stable. Beta-glucans are very stable, and these powders are stable. Okay. And can they theoretically keep longer than two years? It's just that for top activity, you're saying two years and you know what they could take. We've tested ours, you know, for three years, four years, it's very stable. Um, but you know, like anything, I mean, probably better off if it's, you know, fresher from the extraction process and, and you don't want to let it sit around for too long because, you know, it depends on how you store it and things like that. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, listen, this, um, I'm pretty sure this is going to rank as my longest podcast ever, but it's super interesting. And I think we packed so much good information here in here, and I'm sure we could have talked longer about more things, but we're going to leave it at that for now. Um, Thank you so much for being here, Jeff. And thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, Why don't you tell people a little bit about where they can find you, where they can find your products and guys in the show notes, and probably in the intro for this, I will have given you some kind of a promo code. I was remiss. I didn't fig- I didn't go digging it up <laughs> beforehand. Uh, but in the meantime, Jeff's going to tell you where to find him or how to find his products. So people who are making supplements, 
There's the Namex. And then for people who just want to get their hands on the goods, we have real mushrooms, right? Yeah, well, well, come to Namex.com. We have a lot of great educational material there. I've also got yeah. slideshows there that show exactly how we grow our mushrooms, how we process them. So, so definitely Namex.com, uh, look for the educational menu. And then um, realmushrooms.com is where we have our retail products. But there's also a ton of great content on Real Mushrooms site. So, so check that out as well, because there's just so much information and uh, on the different mushrooms and, and in general stuff. So definitely come for educational purposes. Amazing. And Namex is N-A-M-M-E-X. Correct. correct? Yeah. yeah. So two M's in the middle. M mother yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, Jeff, thank you again so much. It's been a pleasure reconnecting with you and I'm sure we'll talk again. Yeah, thank you, Natalie. It has been a pleasure. And I'm really happy to see you again. It's been a great conversation. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly or if you'd like to leave any comments or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application. Just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.